Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from Him today. So please enjoy. Well, just recently, we've begun a new series titled Nehemiah, A Time to Build. Nehemiah, A Time to Build. And so we're currently looking at a book in the Old Testament that is called Nehemiah. Uh, It's 13 chapters long, and it's filled with a narrative that I believe is parallel with what we see today in this present time. And you can write this down if you're taking notes. The main message of Nehemiah is rebuilding in the aftermath of destruction. It's rebuilding in the aftermath of destruction. Now, Nehemiah determined, and and we encourage you to read that book if you get some time, and that was kind of your assignment when we began this series. But Nehemiah determined that with God's help, that he was going to put together the broken pieces of the wall that was destroyed in the city of Jerusalem. That rebuilding did not come without challenges, without opposition, without opportunities to believe and to trust God. Yet the people worked together and side by side to see those walls rebuilt. And and I want to ask you this question, who is next to you that is building with you? And so being connected with the body is so essential, I believe, in this hour because God has given us an assignment to build. Now, What is it that has been destroyed in your life that needs to be rebuilt? I want you to think about that for a little bit because we know that God is a God of restoration. He's a God who wants to build you up in him because I believe he wants you to know and understand your purpose and the reason that you breathe breath on this planet He has a plan and a purpose for you. In part one, we talked about the return of Nehemiah. In fact, he responded to a crisis in Jerusalem, and he returned to the place of his roots. In chapter 1, verse 3, we learn that things were not going so well in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, Nehemiah 1, 3, we'll just look at that. Uh, They said to me, They said to Nehemiah, that is, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, let me just say this. Jerusalem in ruins is a picture of America. It's a picture of broken lives. Jerusalem in ruins is a picture of the human condition, okay? Uh, Because we all suffer in the human condition, we all face the challenge of rebuilding after loss, okay? Uh, So uh, I believe that God is wanting to do something in your life today, that when you leave this place, you're going to leave with, with something that God imparts to you that will bring lasting change. Because so much of what happens in, in our culture today only brings temporary results. 
temporary change. But God wants to bring permanent change into our lives. Do you believe that? I do with all my heart. In part two, last week John Titus brought the word on the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And what a miracle that was in the time of 52 days to accomplish such a feat. And if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to, you will be inspired. What a powerful delivery of hope and faith for the church in this hour. Now for part three, which is today, we're talking about two important elements that I believe are elements for successful growth. And that is reading the word and confession of sin. Okay, now th- this is very basic and foundational for the church. But so often we forget about the basics. And if you ignore the basics, you're going to mess up along the way. And so some of this might be basic to some of you, but I believe it will be revolutionary to most of you, okay, if you can grab hold of it. And so when we look at these two elements, reading the word and confession of sin, realize that unconfessed sin is problematic in the kingdom of God, in the church today. See, this is the time to build. And I have three points I'm going to give to you, uh, so you can write these down. And, And the first point is, I believe, a major takeaway from the book of Nehemiah. So point number one, write it down. Let Nehemiah's story become your story. Let Nehemiah's story become your story. Now, as you look at Nehemiah's crisis, my hope is that you will see yourself in this story, okay? And that you will find your strength in this story and your connection to this story. And as a result, God will position you for a season of rebuilding, Because I I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants to position us for a season of rebuilding. And some of it is is to build brand new. I believe there's assignments and tasks that God wants us to do collectively as a church. But individually, there's some things that need to be rebuilt where your life is concerned. So ask this question. Lord, how do you want to move in my story? How do you want to move in my story? In fact, um, in my life and in this rebuilding effort, how do you want to move? See, uh, we're going to have to engage, I believe, in the rebuilding effort. And I believe as as we do, uh, we're going to be part of something that's bigger than life. And something that we can't accomplish individually. There's only things we can do corporately that we can't do as individuals. Now, for each of us, the rebuilding effort may look look a little bit different when it comes to our personal life. For some of us, it may be starting all over, starting from ground zero, okay? Um, Regaining ground after the ravages of addiction or breaking free from the bondages of sin. For some of you, it may be a financial crisis, Uh, For some, it may be rebuilding relationships that have been destroyed or damaged. For some of you, it may be rebuilding credibility and integrity in your life. For some of you, it may be your career or calling getting back on track. 
For some of you, it may be rebuilding emotional stability in your life. Maybe rebuilding your marriage or your home. See, we're all rebuilding something, okay? We're all rebuilding something. Collectively, we're participating in the rebuilding of the church to the glory of God. Do you believe that? I believe that. In fact, we're all called to partner with Jesus in this thing called the church. See, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it or shall not overpower it. And so if Jesus is building something, I want to be involved in that building project. Not only do we partner with him in building, but we're part of the building, okay? Because he's doing something in us that's significant. And I believe that God wants his church to be a bright beacon in this world during this time. That this is a time for the church to shine. This is a time for us to demonstrate the love of God to a lost and a hurting world where they can encounter God's presence in a way that will transform their life. Oh my, I'm excited today. I don't know if you are, but uh, God is on the move. He wants to display his kindness, his goodness in this earth. And you might say, oh, judgment is coming. Oh, yes, it is. But before judgment, mercy precedes judgment. God displays and shows his mercy, and his mercy is extended, I believe, in this moment. And we need to minister his mercy before we ultimately will face judgment. Amen? And judgment is coming. It's biblical. Just read your Bible. Now, the fact is that we all have broken places in our lives, okay, that have been fully redeemed but not fully restored. Now, you need to hear this. We all have broken places in our life, even though we've been fully redeemed. But those places are not fully restored. I don't even know the moment you got saved, you were fully redeemed. But you had a lot of mess to clean up in your life. And so you don't start out in perfection, okay? You start out redeemed. And then the restoration process takes place. And that's why I think the world looks at the church and they think hypocrites because they see the areas in life and believers that are still not yet restored. But when we sign in and sign on to this thing called Christianity, we begin a journey of restoration, a rebuilding of our life so God can truly get a hold of us and do what he wants to do in us and then through us. Now, um, Oh, my. Restoration comes when we appropriate what God's already provided through his word so that we can walk in his freedom. We have a, a book of promises. We have truth that we can apply, ap- make application in our life that will allow that restoration process to go forward and go forth so that we can walk in the freedom that he's already made available for us and live in the victory that he's already purchased for us. In Psalms 11.3, Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? Now, 
we understand that the promises of God are present, the reality of his nearness is undeniable. In fact, we must accept this reality in our life, in our story, so we can become part of the picture of God's redemption and restoration. See, God wants us to be fully redeemed and fully restored. And if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we're going to find out. We can get into the Word. We can confess our sin. We can allow God to do what He alone can do in our life because God wants to rebuild those foundations. Um, in Acts chapter 3, verses 9 through 21, we see in the book of Acts, this was at the very uh, birth of the church. And so there's a revival with the outpouring of the Spirit in the city of Jerusalem, and, and God is moving in a powerful way. And in chapter 3, Peter gets up, and he begins to proclaim a powerful message of redemption. And conviction comes over the people because they realize that they crucified the Lord of glory, who has been raised from the dead and now is alive. And so in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter calls the people to repentance. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, repentance is something that cannot be ignored within the church. We see evidence of a call to repentance in the Bible. As believers, we need to repent when we sin. We need to repent, and, and, and repentance is turning from your sin. You turn away from something into something else. You turn to God. You turn from sin, you turn to Jesus, okay? And notice it says, you sin to be blood out of verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I want to pause right there. Did you feel refreshed in God's presence as we worshiped Him this morning? Oh, I did. Those are times of refreshing in the presence of the, of the Lord. We need to be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. Amen? In times of worship. And it goes on to say, uh, in the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Now, he wants to send Jesus because he's been appointed for you. You need to encounter him. And now, that doesn't just speak of his return. That speaks of an encounter with him because he wants to meet with you. Okay? And notice, it goes on to say, uh, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So you need to understand, folks, that according to this passage, in light of the scripture, we are living in the time of restoration. This is a period of restoration that God is doing a work in human lives. He's doing a work in the earth. He's doing a work among nations to bring restoration. And I don't know about you, but I want to see the work of restoration continue. I want to see it in America. I want to see it in my home. I want to see it in my personal life. Amen? Okay. See, we're living in a generation where people are rejecting the truth and believing the lie. Okay? which I believe is the perfect storm for deception. When you reject the truth and begin to embrace the lie, you fall into deception, okay? Now, what can we do about the condition of the world we live in today? Well, uh, can we make a difference? Can we really make a difference? Well, Nehemiah did, 
And I believe you can make a difference too. I believe we can as Nehemiah did in his day. Now, the greatest resource we have to change the world is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Romans 1.16 because this I can remember the first time I read this verse. I kind of camped out there for a while because I realized I had discovered the power of God in this passage concerning my life. And notice it says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, what he came to do for you and for me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So if we could get people to hear, understand, and receive the gospel, that is the power they need to be saved, to be delivered from deception. I believe an encounter with Jesus is what every person needs I said, I believe an encounter with Jesus is whatever what every person needs. And I believe uh, his witnesses, which is you and I, we carry that answer, the answer that every person needs. He wants us to stand for truth and preach a message that is full of hope. Amen. So what is broken in your world that needs to be rebuilt? What's broken in your world that needs to be rebuilt? Let's look at Nehemiah 4.10. Let's look at that for a moment. Let's go there. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Now, now what a discouraging statement. There's too much rubble. I mean, when you, they were on site, they saw the condition of the walls. They saw the destruction. They saw the rubble. They saw this rubble. What do we do? Where do we start? Okay. Now, we know that there's trouble with rubble. Okay. And uh, we can't do this thing alone. We need God. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. Now, the trouble with rubble is that it's painful to look at. And maybe you're looking at rubble in your life right now. And it's painful to look at. You say, what, what can I do? God, this is a mess. How can this be changed? Is there hope for me? The trouble, in fact, we must be able to address the rubble rather than ignore it. Okay? See, so don't live in denial. You will never change what you are not willing to confront. Okay? You will never change what you are not willing to confront. Now, the trouble with rubble is that we want to blame someone else for it. You know, and at that time, Judah could, the, the exiles that returned to the city, they said, well, we're not responsible for this. It was our forefathers. It was the previous generation. They're responsible for this. But you can't blame someone else. You need to take responsibility for yourself, okay? And we're going to see in a little bit how that comes through. The trouble with rubble is that it's easy to get stuck in. So many people are stuck in the pain of the past. They're paralyzed because they're stuck in the rubble. But God wants to get you out. He wants to get you unstuck. The trouble with rubble 
is someone has to fix it. Amen? If you can have me my tea up here, it's down there under the seat. I need a little sip of tea. Thank you. All right. Now, the, the book of Nehemiah is actually in two sections. The first section is rebuilding the walls, and that's covered through chapters 1 through 7. And actually, the wall was completed um, in chapter 6, verse 15. We see that. The second part of the book is chapters 8 through 13. Part of the story of Nehemiah was God was moving to provide the means to fund the rebuilding of the walls. How many of you know that can be a crisis? Okay, how are we going to pay for this? There's a, somebody has to pay the price. Uh, one of the outcomes of God moving is participation in the work through generosity. Actually, funds came into the kingdom from the Persian government to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How wonderful was that? Uh, some of you might have got a stimulus check this past week. Some of you might have got a, a direct deposit in your account of stimulus. Now, most of, uh, in fact, if you, I won't have you raise hands, uh, but uh, was, that was like a blessing. Whoa, what's this? <clears throat> now, realize this. I thought, the first thing I thought when this happened, when open up an app and notice, what's this deposit? Okay. This money is money that I did not work for. It's money I have not earned. And personally, I believe it's money I really didn't deserve because I don't have an entitlement mentality, okay? And so then, okay, God, what do we do with this? Well, first and foremost, we're going to honor God with the tithe. And then, you know, for those of you that have needs and situations in your life, what a blessing that is to be able to address those needs. But yet, I want to give you a stimulus challenge because I believe in Nehemiah's day there was a stimulus that came down in the effort that was directed to rebuilding the kingdom. And this is a question I just want, to, want you to think about. <clears throat> what could God do if every believer and follower of Christ that received the stimulus check, it's $1,400 a piece, a person, would honor God with the first 10% and tithe to their local church. I'm speaking across the nation. What could churches do with that money that had not been budgeted for? What outreaches? What could be done to stimulate the kingdom of God with that stimulus check? Wow, so... I put that before you. You do what God places on your heart to do and respond. But in Nehemiah 7, because we see this in Nehemiah verses 70 and 71, it says, Now some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 miners of silver, in verse 71, and some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 miners of silver. Wow. So there was a response of generosity among the people as God was moving for them to get involved in this rebuilding project. Later in chapter 10, we see that uh, in the 
in the city and in the nation of Judah at that time of Israel that there was things set in motion going forward. Excuse me. In chapter 10, verses 35, it says, We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Dropping down to verse 39, it says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Notice the last part of the statement. We will not neglect the house of our God. That was the conviction on the people at that time. They were going to honor God with their first fruits, their tithes, their offerings. And that's what brought a continual revival in Nehemiah's day. Now, point number two. You ready for point number two? Make the word of God a priority in your life. Establishing it as your first and final authority. Now, a number of months ago, I ministered and I shared, I believe, the same point in one of my teachings. But I cannot overemphasize this point for the believer. So point number two, I believe it's up here. They have it in the slide. Make the word of God a priority in your life. Establishing it as your first and final authority. I just want to be honest with you. I believe a major problem in the church is that people are not reading their Bible. And they're not confessing their sin. Okay? They would rather justify their sin. Without being in the Word, you will not know the standard of God. You'll not come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There will be no revival, no reform, or change. You will miss the restoration and the rebuilding that God wants to do. I believe the ingredients and the order of revival are important. Reading the Word, studying it, confessing your sin is paramount for a move of God. In the earth. Now, in Job chapter 23, verse 12, the scripture reads, I have not departed from the commandment of, of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Think about this Job, who's going through a horrendous trial, makes this profound statement in relation to the word of God. In Matthew 4 4, Jesus' statement, But he answered, and guess who he told this to? To the devil himself. When Jesus was being tempted of the devil in the wilderness, he made this statement to the devil. And maybe you should make this statement to him too. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Satan was trying to tempt him because he is hungry to turn the stones into bread. Jesus could have probably done that. But he didn't, but he stated a profound truth that we must feed on the Word of God. 
Feeding on the word of God is so important in our life. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see something that occurred in Nehemiah's day. Verse, actually, Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the, winter, before the water gate. See, there was a water gate back then too, right? <clears throat> and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of every month, notice verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men, of the men and the women, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. See, what's a blessing now is you have your copy of the Bible on your lap. You have it on your device, your phone, your app. They didn't have that luxury. We don't have an excuse today to not be in the Word every day, do we? We don't have to go to a place and hear the Word read. We can read it for ourselves. See, this had a profound effect on the exiles who returned. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says concerning Jesus, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You need to be in the word, folks. You need to read the word. You need to study it. You need to make it part of your daily routine. Uh, You know, you might miss a meal occasionally, but don't miss your time in the Word. Point number three, and we're going to bring this to close in a little bit, but this is an important element here too. Confess your sin the moment you realize you've sinned. See, when people don't immediately confess their sin, um, something that usually comes into place is a divide, a broken fellowship between you and the Father, between you and Jesus. And then what sets in motion is this thing called condemnation, where you feel unworthy, unacceptable. And in that place of condemnation, it it drives you further from God. But there's a quote by Lee Strobel. He said, "Few, few things accelerate the peace process as much as humbly admitting our own wrongdoing and asking for forgiveness. See, we need to understand the significance and the importance of the confession of our sin. Confession of sin is to humbly admit what is offensive to God, okay? And to submit to his grace and receive his forgiveness, Because God will not deny you of forgiveness if you ask him. See, sin is what gets in the way of us rebuilding with God. Nehemiah got letters of authority from the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, we have the letter of authority from the king of kings to rebuild and to build. So what is it that God wants to rebuild in your life? 
Well, first of all, you need his word. And secondly, you need to confess your sin. See, the people confess their sins. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, on October 31st, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Verse 2, those of the Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners. Notice, as they confess their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord was read out loud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. You see the connection of the reading of the word and the confession of sins? I mean, that was quite a church service. I mean, it didn't end quick, did it? You see that, that that's uh, several hours that that thing transpired. But that brought the nation into a place of revival. Okay. Confess, so confession is found 19 times in the Old Testament and 29 times in the New Testament in the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so we see it in Scripture. And there's a teaching going out nowadays that says something like this. Well, if you're in Christ, you don't need to confess your sins anymore. What? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, that's my same reaction. It, it's like, don't you read your Bible? I'm going to direct you to a verse in just a little bit. You can find your place in First John 1, 9. Look there now. But here's a statement from Erwin Lutzer. He states, forgiveness is always free. But that doesn't mean that confession is always easy. It's not easy. Sometimes it's hard, incredibly hard. It is painful to admit our sins and entrust ourselves to God's care. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now understand this, that 1 John 1, 9 is not a license to sin. It's a license to serve. You can't serve God without confessed sin. But you need to acknowledge your sin. And what's interesting here, because some people say, well, maybe there's a sin I did, but I don't remember, or I don't know about This is confessing your known sin. And God is so faithful in his faithfulness, he not only confesses us from our known sin, what we know is sin, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So he wipes the slate clean every time we approach him in faith. So did I give you point number three? Point number three. This is point number three. Confess your sin the moment you realize you've sinned. The moment you realize, oh, I've sinned, confess it immediately. Don't waste a second, okay? Now, there's two natures, and I, I, I need to wrap this up really quick. There are actually two natures that we contend with. Uh, we have a new nature that we receive when we're born again, when we receive Jesus. 
which is contentious to the old nature, the old man, the old style, the unrenewed life. And, and that's what we need to understand because somebody thinks, well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't sin anymore. Uh, it depends what nature you're living out of because you have a free will and you can choose to live out of the old nature. Um, we have to realize that we must move from being sin consciousness to be righteousness conscious. We need to become conscious of the righteous nature that's in us and live out of that. Ephesians chapter 4, quickly, let's look at this, verses 21 through 24. It says, assuming that you have heard about him, this is referring to Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, the Apostle Paul in his writing is speaking to believers. In other words, he's addressing that old nature that's corrupt. That we're to put that off. That means there's a potential that they can put it on, right? So verse 23, this is key. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Now notice this created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is righteous and holy. It's his nature. And when we put that on, then we can live and conquer sin and its temptation. Second Corinthians 5.17 states this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away, and all things become new. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, he made him to be sin, it's referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he exchanged something through his work on the cross. He took our sin. In exchange for that sin, he gave us his righteousness. Now, the problem with many people, they try to overcome sin in their own strength, their own ability, but it's impossible unless you acknowledge and recognize his righteous nature that you receive when you give your heart and life to him. Point number one in this message was let Nehemiah's story become your story. Point number two is make the word of God a priority in your life, establishing it as your first and final authority. And then point number three, confess your sin the moment you realize you've sinned. As I was preparing this message I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do at the end of the service? And I really believe God wants you to have an opportunity to confess your sins before him. Because when we leave this door, when we leave this building, or when you turn off this live stream, for those of you who tuned in, every one of us can be free and forgiven if you confess your sins. 
It's interesting that that's how that verse starts. If we confess our sins. Will you confess your sin today? Will you come to grips with that thing and stop justifying it? Let's stand together. I too am going to extend an invitation, but right now, I want you to close your eyes. <clears throat> Maybe you heard you say, Pastor, you know, my life is not right with God. I, if I were to die today, I'm uncertain what would happen with my life. And maybe you are at a point where you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus. If that's you, God wants to meet you in a profound way. In fact, he's the one that's going to reveal himself to you. He's the one that's going to show himself, himself strong on your behalf. You can encounter him today. So I'm going to extend this invitation right here and right now. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God. I need Jesus. I'm willing to admit it. I'm willing to surrender my life to him. Maybe you've backslidden. You're away from God. And now you see his invitation to return to him, to give your heart to him. And maybe you've never done that in your life. This is the first time. But now you're willing to lay your life down and say, God, I'm opening my heart and my life to you to receive you. If that's you in this place with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm giving my heart to Jesus right now. I'm surrendering myself to him right now. As an act of my will, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe that he's raised to life to give me new life. Jesus, I choose you now as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. I open my heart and my life to you. In Jesus' name. It's a simple prayer. We call it the believer's prayer. But if you meant that sincerely with your heart, from your heart, God is moving in you right now. And now the second part of this is some of us need to confess sins. Have you failed him today? Have you failed him this past week? Have you offended him? We're not going to give you a list of sins, but we know that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I want to lead you in a confession. Repeat after me. Father, as I stand before you in this place, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I've disobeyed you. I've broken your commandments. I've sinned against my brother.
Forgive me for every wrong thought. Forgive me for every wrong action. According to 1 John 1, 9, I now confess my sins. And according to your word, you said that you are faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.